fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market laissez-faire capitalist society allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Oh my gosh, what a Tuesday it's been, the post-Monday celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. Yes, we are the eternal optimists on this program. Yes, we are excited because it is a Tuesday, and welcome into the show. It is absolutely wonderful to have you along for the ride today. What up? How you doing? Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station, we are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you may be watching or listening to the program, we love you to death and appreciate you very, very much. Your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Bottom of the hour, Mark Mix. We've had him on the program many times before. National Right to Work Committee. We'll talk about some economic issues. Representation of small business here in the nation. Also, I'm going to pick his brain on the latest potential walkout from the railroads and the railroad unions that could completely cease transportation and distribution of goods across this nation, completely cease our economic activity if that happens coming up in November. So I'll pick his brain on that one along with some of the other issues that he's been working on as well. We have that to get to. We have early voting that has kicked off in some states. We'll talk about that here in just a second. I believe here in Kansas, where I'm at, I think it starts tomorrow. The last day of voter registration is today in Kansas, and early voting starts tomorrow. Other states already have their early voting that began today. We'll run down some of those numbers because numbers are already out, and it looks like this is going to be, as Donald Trump says, huge. It's going to be bigly. It's going to be one where we should really pay attention to make sure that we show up to vote and we are engaged as much as humanly possible because this will be a repeat of some of the latest uh, record-breaking voter turnouts that we've seen over the last few years. So we'll get into all that here and more in just a second. First off, though, our favorite segment that we do on this program. Let's go into the Biden basement. (laughs) Haven't done one of those in a while, but we have some new great audio clips of the man himself, the leader of the free world, the great uh, uh, trend setter for the Democrat platform, Mr. Joe Biden. I married up. I was one of those guys my whole life. I've been surrounded by women who've taken care of me. They're smarter than I am. My younger sister used to be three years younger than me. Now she's 23 years younger. Wow. Cool. Now you know the latest from the Joe Biden basement. Let's go into the Biden basement. Remember, this is the leader of the free world here. She was three years younger. Now she's 23 years younger. Okay. To be fair, was that supposed to be like a knock on or at least some type of um, a nice gesture of like an age thing. Was that the, was that what that was for? I'll try to give him credit for that. Try to, it came out horribly wrong. She was three years younger. Now she's 23 years younger. Okay. I will try to use that as the, as an age thing for the, for the woman to, you know, not feel old and that sort of, okay. I will go along with that. But can we explain this one? I taught my boys to ski here. I taught my family to ski here. I, uh, it's, and by the way, as you all know, especially for us Easterners, we talk about that at dinner. We talk. No, I'm serious. I, I mean, I just don't. I don't know. I don't know. 
Now, he's on the campaign trail trying to uh, bounce around to different states. The first one, I have no clue who he was at talking about his younger sister. The second one, he was in Colorado trying to campaign out there. He's on the campaign trail, which means he's on dosed up on a heck of a lot of steroids right now, a heck of a lot of whatever it is to keep him going. He's dousing the energy drinks or something to try and keep him somewhat stable to go out and talk to people day after day. I don't know why he's on the campaign trail because just like with Hillary Clinton he has better approval ratings when he's hiding in his basement it does not say a word when he's not in the public limelight then people like him a lot better than when he's out saying stuff really really stupid i'm sure that his campaign and his administration believes the same way as well on the other hand you got Karine Jean Pierre that is out there saying stuff that's really stupid as well because she can't think for herself without the binder in front of her as well. So there are a lot of Democrats nationwide that are starting to distance themselves from the Biden administration. They really are. They don't want him to go campaign. They're not campaigning saying that they're really a Democrat or that they Biden Democrat. They're talking about their own agenda. They're talking about uh, go. If you see Democrat yard signs. If you see them knocking on your doors, if you see them running TV ads in your state or in your community or in your city, wherever you are, for a second, I know it's difficult and it angers you, but pay attention to them. Watch them for a second. They don't mention Joe Biden. They don't mention the economy. They don't mention the things that Biden has done or that Democrats have done because they can't run on any of those things. They only run on the fact of what they want to do with their own personal agenda. I want to create a socialist nation. I want to expand social programs for other people. I want to do this. I want to do that. They don't talk about what they've done as the majority for the last two years in the House and the Senate and the presidency. They haven't talked about that. They talk about what they want to do because they have nothing else to campaign on. And most of them are not mentioning the word Joe Biden. In fact, in the latest national poll that we've seen, the vast majority of Democrat candidates nationwide are distancing themselves and pretending Joe Biden doesn't even exist. Which is really bad because the president, regardless of whatever party you are, that party, that's really the the leader of your party. That is the face of the party. That is the movement for the party. And right now, Republicans still have Donald Trump, even though he's not in power. But he created such a movement that that's still resonating with Republican voters for the most part across the nation, which is why they like him uh, to be the presidential candidate. The other hand is Ron DeSantis. But Ron DeSantis has been, again, a big vocal uh, individual to stand out among the crowd for people to say, hey, I like what he's doing. Go ahead and lead the party. Set the tone for the party, and let's get some stuff done. They're not doing that with Joe Biden, which is why there's a major gap. If you've noticed across your states, there's a major gap right now for Democrat candidates to really have a lot of momentum and energy, which is why right now the tsunami is going to be on the red side. Let's see if that comes true. Let's see if that happens. Early voting kicked off yesterday for a few different states, including the state of Georgia. And according to TheHill.com, just on Monday alone, 131,318 ballots were cast in person in the state of Georgia. To put that into perspective for you, in 2018 in the midterm elections, which remember, that was a Democrat one where we flipped it because when Trump got into office in 2016, we ended up having a Republican president, a Republican House, and a Republican Senate, and we didn't get a whole lot done because we had a lot of rhino Republicans in there that were sabotaging the Trump administration. 2018 is when Republicans were angry because, well, guess what? The party didn't do what we said we were going to do with having both chambers of Congress and the presidency. So we ended up flipping in 2018 with a major record turnout in the midterm elections. Just in Georgia alone, they had 70,849 ballots cast in person on the first day of early voting. 
Compare that to this year from 70,000, almost 71,000, to 131,000 early votes in the state. Now, some could say that's good because people are fired up. That could also be bad because most Republicans like to show up on the day of. So the early voting doesn't necessarily go to our favor, although we have the momentum. So I don't know what to take away from this. From my analytical mind that I enjoy with elections, I don't know how to take this one because I think that we are one showing up to vote, which is awesome. At the same time, we like to show up on election day. So the first day of early voting, beating it by roughly 50,000 votes from the last midterm election in 2018, that's concerning and encouraging all at the same time. Monday's results inch closer to the 136,000 ballots cast on the first day of voting in 2020 in the presidential election year. They were 5,000 votes away from breaking the record for a midterm and matching a presidential vote in 2020. And again, how did that turn out for the state of Georgia in 2020? I guess that's up for debate, depending on what you believe, what the uh, election fraud or lack thereof, who knows? But that was a record turnout for the first day. And we just about matched that for the midterms this year. That's how big this election is. That's how important this election is. And this is how fired up people are. Again, I don't know many fired up Democrats, but I also sometimes in an echo chamber. We have to admit that sometimes we're in an echo chamber. Being conservative talk radio, working with the local Republican parties, working with a campaign that's with the Republican candidates, hearing and talking to Republican candidates across the states and, and talking to candidates all over the nation. I Unfortunately, in my realm... I get stuck in an echo chamber at times, so I don't always get to hear what the other side's doing or the message coming from the other side, or at least the enthusiasm or lack thereof from the other side. So that's why I rely on you, the listener, regardless of where you are all over the country listening to this program live or delayed or through podcasts, on what you're seeing. Get out of that echo chamber for a little bit, and while I'm excited, I don't want to be overexcited and overconfident because we didn't truly prepare for what the other side had in store for us. According to the Hill.com as well, with the same story, they say 11,000 absentee ballots have been submitted so far this year, bringing that total number to 143,000 through yesterday as well. That's insane with how many people are voting early. And maybe Republicans are saying, you know what, I love voting on Election Day, but we cannot give them this head start. We cannot let them show up and see these high numbers and see how excited Democrats are to show up early and make this vote count. I need to go and start voting early as well, as much as I don't like to. I wish, I wish, I wish we could have just an election day, make it a federal holiday, shut down businesses, make everybody stay home that day, and just go and vote. Just to everybody vote on that day. But early voting continues to be extended earlier and earlier and earlier. Then you have the absentee ballots and you have the mail-in ballots and you have the drop boxes and you have all these other issues that cause for concern of even if it's not systematic voter fraud, at least it just opens up opportunity for shenanigans to be played or at least errors to be made uh, consciously or subconsciously in the electoral system. The state of Florida as well, moving south from Georgia. Early voting turnout so far is larger than usual for midterm elections from the University of Florida. As they say, nearly 2.7 million people have already cast their ballots as of this morning ahead of the November 8th election. 2.7 million. And that was, uh, this story was as of 2.30 this afternoon Eastern time. So 1.30 my time in Central Standard. 2.7 million as of this morning, yesterday and today, 
with early voting. Of this year's voting totals, more than 337,000 were cast in person, and nearly 2.35 million have been mailed in in the state of Florida. Again, optimistic, encouraging. There's a lot of activism. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of people focusing on it. Or is this concerning for us because we like to vote on Election Day? I don't know. I really don't know. A total of 16.8 million mail-in ballots have been requested in the state of Florida overall. Among 26 states that have already begun early voting, Florida accounted for the highest total with only states with at least 600,000 ballots cast already. This is insane with how many people are turning out already. I want to get your thoughts on this because while I am optimistic and I love the fact that we are turning out, is it really us turning out or is it the Democrats that just like the 2020, Let's for just a second, let's step aside and let's not think about voter fraud. Let's think about it as if it was legitimate. I know there's a lot of concern there. I know there's a lot of question there. I'm not saying it was or wasn't. I'm just saying theoretically, let's set aside the concerns about voter fraud. We're seeing the trends in 2018 when Democrats took back Congress under a Trump administration, and we're seeing trends of a 2020 presidential election when they showed up in groves for early voting, and then we weren't able to match them back again on election night, and that's what caused the issues. Is that a concern for you going into election day again today on November 8th and with the early voting that started for many states this week? That is a cause for concern to me. Uh, when we come back, we got to take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk about the agenda because the Democrats are concerned. Have they peaked too soon with some of the polls? Now that early voting is in, and what agenda have they actually settled on to move forward for the last couple weeks of the election cycle? Because they didn't really have a platform. They couldn't campaign on anything, so they're kind of going back and forth between two different ideas. What are those? We'll do that when we come back here on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Don Wright, welcome back into the program. We are moving through. I, I got some interesting questions with some of the stream comments and some of the chat rooms that we have, which you can find on OpsLens, you can find on Podbean, you can find on Facebook as well as uh, we stream all over the place. And it's a good question. I mean, how many of them are legit or have they burst their bubble already? Have they let everything out and then we have to match them? I still think we're going to see a major turnout on Election Day, which is encouraging. But again, how many of these are maybe elderly individuals that want to go and vote? How many people are just too anxious and excited to go and vote so they can't wait until Election Day? How many of them are actually Democrats because they love the early voting and don't want to wait till actual Election Day? Historically, people that vote early predominantly, at least majoritively for the most part across the nation, are Democrats. So if we're seeing record turnout already, then either we should be very optimistic that we have the momentum or we're very scared because, well, we could see a major uh, not so much go in our favor here. That's the big question. The big question that I have, and I've been asking this for the last few days now, is what is the platform for the Democrats? What are they running on? Because they they don't have anything to run on. The economy's in the tank. I don't have to run through the list. You know the list. The economy's in the tank. Supply chain issues suck. Inflation sitting at 9.5%. Gas prices are still ridiculously high. Foreign policy is a disaster. Working and begging with OPEC is an absolute disaster. Uh, the border is an absolute disaster. Uh, I don't know what else to say. I don't know what you could possibly run on to say that you've done something good, except for social issues, which is what they already have with their voter base. 
And you got to remember, that is the voter base, the very loud, outspoken, everybody's a racist, everybody's a fascist, everybody's a whatever. The LGBTQ issue, the abortion issue, that is a built-in base that Democrats already have. And focusing on those issues only appeal to a finite amount of individuals. You can debate LGBTQ issues all you want. You can debate abortion issues all you want unless you can't afford to live. Which is why every single poll shows the number one priority for voters right now is is the economic issues. So according to Newsmax, the Biden administration, while he's out campaigning, trying to talk to different states and campaign for different individuals and say things like this. Do you realize the bullet out of an AR-15 travels five times as rapidly as a bullet shot out of any other gun? (laughs) Come on, man. Yeah, so apparently that's a thing now as well. So as you're aware, as long as you're aware of what our fearless leader is saying here, they're now focusing finally on a platform. The Republicans came out with their commitment to America. The House of Representatives did, Kevin McCarthy. And I just sat down yesterday evening with my congressman here in the 4th District. I'll play part of that interview probably in the next day or two. And I have some big news, by the way, coming up here shortly as well. But we'll probably play part of that interview. The commitment to America is a great plan. I thought it was a little late to the game. But Democrats hadn't come out with a plan either, apparently. So we did beat them, and that is good news. It's focusing on getting our country back on track, focusing on America first, which is what we're all about. Finally, according to Newsmax.com, today they say that the Biden administration vows on abortion legislation as their top priority for next year. So they really have two things here. They have inflation, which they say they're going to, again, not what they've done as a party, but what they're going to do. We're going to lower inflation. As if it was the different party, it wasn't their policies that put us in this position in the first place. Their platform is, we're going to lower inflation. Cool. What are you going to do about it? Well, we're going to let the Federal Reserve handle it. The Federal Reserve has only raised interest rates five different times, so kudos on that one. And it still hasn't done a damn thing to lower inflation in this nation. But it's either inflation, because they have to address economic issues, or it's abortion which they're saying we need a majority in the Senate and we need a House and we need the president to try and uh, to try and lock in and protect Roe after Roe v. Wade was reversed uh, through the Supreme Court. That's what their focus is. Will that be enough? Usually I would say no. After the vote in Illinois, however, and after the vote here in Kansas on trying to protect the rights of lives of individuals i'm a little skeptical so maybe that is enough for them to turn out the vote and say wow republicans really do hate women we need to go and vote they've tried that call a long time now will it work again this time maybe who knows the voice of reason with andy hoosier When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Holy cow, this day flies right on by. We never have enough time. I could do four hours on this program. We have so much to talk about here as we kind of wrap up the predictions going into the midterms now that we have early voting and record early voting in Georgia and in Florida and in other places right now. Again, the question is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Democrats predominantly are the ones that show up early. Republicans are predominantly the ones that show up on Election Day. And right now we're matching the numbers. We're beating the numbers from the midterms in 2018. We're almost matching the numbers from the presidential race in 2020. Is that a good sign? 
Or is that a bad sign? Many Democrats are concerned that they have peaked too soon. They really peaked in the middle of the summertime after the reversal of Roe v. Wade and the push from them on abortion issues and women's rights, which is why they're making that their platform now the best that I can see, according to uh, some of the headlines from Newsmax. But according to The Hill as well, that Republicans still have a 49-45 lead over Democrats in generic ballot polls nationwide. So they've peaked and Republicans still have the majority. So does that mean the massive early voter turnout is a good sign for us or is a scary sign that the polls are completely skewed and we need to be concerned? We'll talk about more of that here in just a little bit, but excited to have this guy back on the program. What's trending today? We love having him on the show. He is with the National Right to Work Committee, also National National Right to Work uh, Defense Legal Defense uh, Group here at Mark Mix on the line. Mark, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Andy. Good to talk with you today. Things are getting busy. Of course, they're always busy, I guess, right? Yeah, it's always busy, but we're getting down to the wire here. Are you feeling optimistic? I mean, we're looking at these early voting numbers. Georgia yesterday had record turnout with near 131,000 in-person ballots cast. Florida's already up there as well with like 600,000. There's millions of them uh, mailed in. There's millions of people early voting. Democrats usually lead the early voting. So is that a cause for concern or is that optimistic for us with being really excited? Well, I guess you can look at it two ways, and uh, as you mo- can most things. I mean, the, the good news is that people are participating, and, and that's what we have to do in this grand experiment of self-government. We have a responsibility to make our voice heard, and this is how we do it. Unfortunately, the, the way it's done now is getting to be somewhat problematic. I mean, the idea that we have a, of an election day, and we have a day when we go cast votes, and we make provisions for those that cannot make it on election day seem to be the standard that, that upheld us pretty well, so that by the time the elections were over that night and the polls closed, we had winners designated, and, and oftentimes there were recounts. But now we have to wait sometimes, what, three, four, five, ten days, in some cases months before we know who won and who lost because of all this, you know, the alternative ways that people are voting. Um, I, I, don't, I don't get optimistic. I don't get pessimistic. What I get is, you know, look, we've got to know what the, where the candidates stand. We've got to know what they stand for. Voting early oftentimes uh, precludes someone learning something about a candidate, uh, you know, a week from now or two weeks from now or three weeks from now or the night before the election sure. um, that might change their behavior. So the early voting is probably primarily those people that have voted, you know, one party or the other. They're voting because of the party as opposed to the issues. And the good news is people still make decisions about issues. I think those are the folks that people kind of wait and see what's said, what they hear, what they learn, what the questions they ask and the answers they get. And hopefully those are the folks that will make the decision in many races because – Basically, Andy, as you know, I mean, any Republican that runs in any state can probably get anywhere between 39 and 41 percent of the vote just because they have an R behind their name. Sure. Anybody who runs in a state with a D behind their name can probably get 43 to 45 percent of the vote just because they have a D behind their name. It's that group in the middle that's still that's left that still makes the decisions, especially in races that are, you know, that are competitive. I mean, obviously, in California, um, you know, the governor wins with 67% of the vote, no matter, you know, because he's a D, that's all. But in most cases where there's competitive races, it's going to make a difference. And I think people are going to, those people that are undecided are going to stick around till election day, and they're going to make their decision based on what they learn between now and then. That is very true. I I think in a positive light, as you mentioned, I mean, some of the uh, quote unquote October surprises that we see every once in a while, I guess that has less (laughs) of an impact because it won't really matter if people have already cast their vote. So I guess there's that. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right, Andy. That's a good. That's a good observation. I mean, we always we always hear about those, and they've been become they're becoming more regular events uh, during elections that you have this October surprise, and and you know someone who casts the vote today uh, doesn't know what could happen in two weeks, as I mentioned. So I think that's a good observation. Yeah, that is very true. From kind of trends of voting, and I know you focus on obviously a lot of economic issues. You focus on a lot of unionized issues and small business and in the rights for individuals to work. Have you seen a trend at all in the change of mindset from union workers who may be part of a union to go to work every day and do their job? However, they're frustrated with the union and they vote a different way, which is why, I mean, Trump won a massive amount of union workers in that last election. Is that trend going to continue, do you think? Yeah, I think so, Andy, because, you know, whether you're a union man or a union woman or or a non-union, whatever, you still have to drive up to the gas pump. You still have to read the stories and watch the news about the border. You have to, you know, hear the stories and read the stories about the increased size of government, the increased taxes, the increased costs that that ordinary folks are having to face every day, day in and day out. And, you know, and particularly as you make the point between the union officials on one hand versus rank-and-file workers on the other, while union officials back here in Washington and across the country in state capitals or, you know, have endorsed candidates generally of one party, rank-and-file workers who are having that money used to support candidates that, in the case of Joe Biden and the XL pipeline and the energy business, put a bunch of rank-and-file union members on the unemployment line, I suspect there is growing anger and unrest about what the top union bosses are doing and what Joe Biden's doing for the top union bosses, giving them more power and not necessarily having policies that impact the rank-and-file workers that are the ones that are paying the dues and, and the fees and, and contributing to the political action committees to help uh, union bosses give this big money to candidates are running for office. So I think there's going to be, um, there should be discouragement. If there's not, I don't know what it would take for sure. Yeah, I don't know what it would take either. I think people are starting to wake up from that. I mean, for example, and I've said this so many times, you obviously fight against a lot of these unions and some of their power that they have, but there may have been a time back in the day for unions. I don't see it. I have not seen anything. And, and I mean, I don't focus it, I guess, on every day, but I haven't seen anything in the last 20 years where a union's uh, strike or telling workers to go out and not get a paycheck and not do their job has been actually beneficial for the business or for the economy as a whole. It seems like now they have their own special interests, which is make massive amounts of money from the union workers, donate to Democrats to get their agenda, to create more power, and then sit there in nice, cushy jobs. And that's really the purpose of a union nowadays. Well, that is when you when you overlay the the kind of statutory protections that they have from the federal government that give them the ability to basically force someone to pay dues or fees as a condition of getting or keeping a job. Fortunately, in 27 states, uh, those those laws have been invalidated by state action that says you know we're going to pass a right to work law, so it gives workers the ability to hold union officials accountable. But in the 23 states where you can be forced to pay dues or fees or lose your job, that's exactly what happens. Andy, and you described it in a it, kind of this vicious cycle that it is. I mean, they, they elect more politicians, they give them more power, they create more money to give to more politicians, they give them more power, and it's this circular loop that occurs, and really the displaced people are ordinary citizens, and unfortunately, rank-and-file union members, where in states where they have no choice, where they have to pay dues or fees in order to keep their job, they just have to take it, and that's really not an answer. And so there's been, you know, you indicated it, and I agree with you, there's been a place for unions there, and I say there is a place for unions, and there will be a place for unions, but there's no place for compulsion and force in that arrangement. Unions would be inherently stronger if everyone that participated with them was gung-ho about being a member and gung-ho about what the union's doing. But there's no accountability when unions can force you to pay them for the right to work. Yeah. 
That is very true. Let's focus to the state of Ohio for a second, shall we? And I grew up in Ohio. Yeah. I know that there's a lot of unions in Ohio. I know that uh, it's a very purple state because of the unions that have their influence in the state of Ohio. But let's talk about J.D. Vance. Let's talk about that race for just a second, because obviously there's a push, and I'm sure that J.D. Vance, uh, I don't know much about his platform other than I know we need to get him in to fight off some of this stuff. But what's the latest in the state, and are you optimistic about that race? Yeah, well, that's a state where obviously uh, right to work has had a, has, has been an issue, and unfortunately, Ohio is one of those states in the in the Great Lakes region. I won't call it the Rust Belt because it's not rusting anymore. New manufacturing jobs are going back to Indiana and Michigan and Wisconsin and uh, West Virginia and Kentucky that surround Ohio, and all those states have one thing in common: they have right to work laws. And so, you know, Ohio has been losing and bleeding automotive jobs, and and unfortunately, it's a legacy that uh, will continue as long as they continue to give the United Auto Workers and other unions power over workers in their state because that, that's a problem but the, the senate race is looking pretty good i think for jd vance his position on our issues we don't really know that but we do know the position of tim ryan um he has voted again and again and again to force workers into unions force them to pay dues he wants to repeal every right to work law in the country uh that we're in 27 states that have him. he wants to impose a card check unionization scheme on workers that eliminates the secret ballot election that gives union officials the power to show up on your doorstep at 10 o'clock at night, two, three, four union organizers and say, hey, sign this card. Um, if not, you know, if not, um, we'll we'll bring another person to, to help to try to convince you. And I'm using my finger quotes, Andy, to sign these cards. I mean, the power that, that the union officials have, have, have desired under Biden and under previous administrations is just extraordinary. And it doesn't have anything to do with giving more power to the rank and file worker. It has everything to do with giving power to union officials. And that's the Ryan agenda as it comes to, you know, the, the Ohio Senate race. It's pretty clear. I mean, he, he has a clear voting record. I think he's been in the Congress for 20 years. And every vote that he cast has been in favor of union officials, and many of those votes militate against rank-and-file union members. That is very true. we got just about a minute before we have to take a hard break here, but the state legislature in Ohio, have they been pretty decent on this? I know overall at the statewide level, it's relatively Republican, conservative-ish. Have they been good on, on at least workers' rights down there? Not really. I mean, the governor Voinovich and DeWine and Kasich have all been uh, kind of scaredy cats when it comes to going, standing up and standing up for individual freedom and liberty. And that 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 has trickled down. To use the uh, the Reagan term, has trickled down to the Republicans in the legislature as well. So there's not a whole lot of courage when it comes to questioning whether or not union officials should be able to fire workers for failure to pay dues or fees. And so there's work to do in Ohio for sure. There's a lot of work to do in Ohio. I think DeWine might be easier to work with. I've never been a fan of Kasich. I think he was one of the worst Republicans governors that we've seen in this entire nation and thank god that he is out of that seat so we can actually maybe just maybe get something done here we're talking with mark mix national right to work committee also the national right to work at legal defense foundation when we come back we got to take a break here i want to focus on what we've talked about here on this program for about a week or so is this union with the railroads potentially halting our entire economy halting distribution halting production because of these unions that want to stand up even after the railroads came back and tried to offer them a vast amount of money on what their agenda is here. We'll do that when we come back. Wrapping up the show today for a post-Monday celebration here on The Voice of Reason. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. 
Yes, indeedy. Reason, common sense, rationale. That's what we're all about here on the program. Thanks for hanging out. Always a pleasure to have you along for the ride. By the way, as a little teaser of what's coming up potentially tomorrow, I am about 95% sure. It's not confirmed, confirmed, but it's confirmed, if you know what I mean. Tomorrow on the program, we will be having House Minority Whip uh, Steve Scalise. Congressman for Louisiana on the program as he's actually coming to the Kansas area for a political fundraiser and we've been able to get him on the program. So we will look forward to that interview tomorrow on the show. You're not going to miss that with House Minority uh, Whip Steve Scalise, a congressman from Louisiana's 1st Congressional District, and really excited to chat with him. There's a lot we're going to talk about as we talk about the commitment to America and getting ready for election season. That's going to be awesome, baby. That's what we do on this show. Yeah. Say, say. So get ready for that on the program tomorrow, along with other great stuff as well. Right now, we're hanging out with the man, Mark Mix, the National Right to Work Committee. You can find them on their website, also their National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. All right, Mark, I have railed on this issue for the last week or so. This makes me so angry. uh, Angry Andy doesn't come out of the box very often on the radio, but on this issue it does because I have come to the vile hatred towards many unions and how they try to screw up the economy and screw up businesses with this railroad issue where most of the unions have come on board and agreed to the compromise the negotiation for new contracts but there's one the maintenance guys that have not done so potentially throwing everything into havoc they're going to discuss this i know in november after congress gets back up there again they offered the railroads offered a 24 percent salary increase and five thousand dollars in bonuses of whatever those bonuses may or may not be And the union turned it down because they want more sick days and paid time off. Now, in a a world of 9% inflation rates across this nation where people are struggling, and I'm pretty sure most people are not getting 9% raises to compensate for the 9% inflation, these guys are potentially getting a 24% salary increase, and they're turning it down. How narcissistic do you have to be to turn something down like that because you want more? Come on, man. Well, I'm not sure about the personality disorders as they might be, but we do know this. They can exercise their power because the federal law under the Railway Labor Act gives union officials dramatic powers. In fact, Andy, as you mentioned, five, uh, six of the 12 units now that are involved in this, this negotiation, I'm using my finger quotes here, um, have accepted the Presidential Emergency Board's recommendations after some further negotiation with the National Conference or Carriers Conference Committee, which is the employer group that's on the other side of the table. But one, to your point, the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way uh, employees uh, of employee division um, have rejected it. And what that means is, is if they don't go back and accept it, two things are going to, well, three things might happen. One, the union officials may override the vote of those workers, which is something that happens. And believe it or not, people may not believe this, but union officials have the power to do that. We have a case right now, a National Labor Relations Board case that is a Wagner private sector union case, but the Railway Labor Act and the National Labor Relations Act are very similar, and there is no obligation for union officials to accept the results of a vote by employees on the ratification of the contract. In fact, in 1996, the leaders of the United Transportation Union, now the Transportation Division of the Sheet Metal Air Rail Transportation Workers, called Smart TD, 
overrode the members' vote against an agreement that uh, that the union negotiators had agreed to, and they imposed it anyway. They went to arbitration, and, and it got imposed, even though the employees had voted against it. The rank and file workers voted against it. So um, what would happen if they don't accept the, the deal is when they come back in November, and they want it after the election, because as you point out, Andy, it would have a dramatic impact on the economy. And I will guarantee you this, while there's no, quote, sympathy strike allowed under the Railway Labor Act, where the other 11 units who may have, may or may not approve it going forward, uh, they would have to be back on the job. But if there is a provision that says if they feel threatened, they can walk off the job too. And I guarantee you that the 11 units that approve it of the 12, if one doesn't approve it, there will be a system-wide strike across the board. I mean, I just believe that will happen. They won't cross a picket line, and they'll say that they're threatened if they do, and they will be able to implement the provisions in the Railway Labor Act that will shut down the entire railroad industry until they get an agreement they want. Another thing could happen is Congress could impose a, an arbitration. They could impose the Presidential Emergency Board recommendations on it. That would be the so-called cram-down. Um, and other, and another, the final solution potentially is the so-called baseball arbitration, which says one, your, your offer goes in, their offer goes in, and the arbitrator can't split the baby. He takes one or the other. So it, it's an interesting time, but you're right. The provisions of the agreement of the presidential or the recommendations of the presidential emergency board are pretty big, 24% compounded over the final years of a contract. I think it's a four-year deal. So pretty good stuff. Yeah, pretty good stuff. And it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. And it makes me angry even thinking about some of this and the power that they have to override a lot of these workers. It's Mark Mix, National Right to Work Committee. I appreciate the time, my friend. I wish we could get more into this. We'll have to get you back on again soon. But keep it the fight, my friend. Let's do it again real soon. Thanks, Andy. Hey, always a pleasure, my friend. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. We're back at it tomorrow here on the program. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.